Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He grew up playing for the Milton Edge and Pac-Man Volleyball Club. He's represented Canada at U19 World Championships on the beach, and he's currently playing for Trent University. Please welcome to the show, Charlie Windsor. Charlie, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, our listeners will maybe remember you from that show we used to do that hopefully is coming back called Sharp Cuts, but uh, welcome to the A Show, my friend. I'm very excited, very excited. <laughs> Uh, so take it from the top for me. Uh, where did you grow up and what other sports were you playing before volleyball became your main thing? So I grew up in a little town called Glen Williams. It's like kind of a sub town of Georgetown, I guess. Very, again, small town, about an hour northwest of Toronto. Uh, growing up sports wise, I played just about everything under the sun, especially Canadian kids sports, you know, hockey, lacrosse, Timbet soccer, all that fun stuff. Um, started volleyball when I was probably 12, uh, competitively at least, but playing in school and with my dad from when I was like four or five. Sweet. Yeah. Sounds like you were on the go. So what got you into volleyball? Either like a really good school coach? Uh, did you know what club volleyball was? Like, when did you kind of switch over? It sounds like you're a multi-sport athlete, but when did you either like start playing club or thinking that school ball was a little bit more serious? I started playing club my... 13U season, so I was 12. But my dad played in university. Actually, he played for York. Uh, I know the coach in there, so that's a bit of a link. Um, but growing up, he always kind of tried to instill the volleyball in my life. And, you know, every year playing hockey, it's like, yeah, hockey's cool, but like, here's a volleyball. You know, it exists. Um, so it was always kind of just something I enjoyed. And I played, you know, through school. And then I think it was after like grade six, I decided I wanted to try and give it a go instead of just hockey. So then there were probably two or three years there where I was playing both hockey and volleyball. Uh, and it got to a point where I kind of had to make a choice and I went with volleyball. Yeah, I don't know if York has the famous slogan that it seems that every school does that once a lion, always a lion, but we'll claim that. But we'll have to get uh, your dad out to uh, when you guys visit York and see if he can you know, cheer for us instead of cheering for you. I don't know if you can do that because he was actually there when they were called the the yeoman yeoman or whatever it was. I think they were the yeoman yes yeoman. yeah so it was way back he was there not to say he's that old but well i mean way back is a loose term because i bet you he still played for wally diva because i think wally was there forever so he did. <laughs> yeah no wally was his coach nice nice so you make the tough choice to turn down hockey and play volleyball uh, was that when you were with Milton Edge or when did you make the switching clubs and go to Pac-Man? Because uh, I think Georgetown has a ton of volleyball players and they seem to end up at Pac-Man, but it isn't your closest club, right? Uh, it is to an extent. Georgetown, as I said, is kind of way out there. So we've got, we used to have Georgetown Impact on the guys' side. Uh, recently, as in the past like two years, they turned into a girls-only club. So you've kind of got to go to Pac-Man if you want to play like relatively seriously out of Georgetown. Uh, not to say Milton is bad, but I started off at Milton. Uh, and then I've actually, I've never played for the same club team twice in a row. I was always kind of bouncing around between the levels of Pac-Man. Uh, and then I'd go back to Milton, you know, for a year or two. Um, but I was with Pac-Man most of the time and ultimately finished there. Yeah, that's a lot of backpacks. Um, there is a theory floating around the beach community that per capita, Georgetown might have the most national team athletes because if they credit you being from Georgetown, both Abrams brothers, uh, Jake McNeil, uh, I don't think Jake's sister ever played national team, but she was an NCAA D1 athlete. Uh, I think Caitlin Wark is from Georgetown. 
who's a youth sports champion. So maybe it's not just national team athletes, but just really good volleyball players. If there isn't a boys club there, how come there's so many like male athletes coming through there? Is the school ball really good? Or is Georgetown just an athletic community? Like what's going on here? Well, I guess kind of as I touched on earlier, Georgetown's a small town, so there's not much to do. You either do well in school, do well in sports, or smoke weed. There's kind of like no, you know, middle ground for anyone. Like you fall into one of those three categories. So a lot of the time people just fall into the athletic category. Uh, and we do have some good uh, school coaches, especially at the younger ages, like middle school. So they do a pretty job of kind of like a pretty good job of taking the better athletes in general and funneling them into volleyball to the best they can. Nice, nice. And now my brain is racing to see if I know anyone who does all three, but you're right. Hopefully they just choose one of those things. Well, two, sport and, and, and school, but anyway. Sport and smart, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when you started to go through the club system, um, where did you finish 18U? Was that with Pac-Man? Yeah, I finished my 18U with Pac-Man. And just name drop with me. I'm trying to remember who was on your team. Was that when you were with Cam, your eventual beach partner? Was like Caden Smith on those teams? Yeah, so I was Cam... Uh, McGregor, he's at Western now. Caden Schmidt, Trinity Western. Uh, Owen Mellon, he's playing for Princeton. Nikola Mitrovic, Queens, I think. And then recently, another one of our guys, Owen, at Brock. And I'm definitely missing up Shapcott is at Brock as well. Jacob's at Waterloo. Sorry, I just dropped like three quarters of my roster. But it's, I think, pretty much every single one of our guys, except for like one or two who didn't want to play post-secondary, are playing at a university somewhere. And... um Mike Albert coached that team, right? He did. Yeah, he was my coach for 18 years. What were he was those only with that team for two years, I think. So, I mean, you just name drop it. It basically seemed that anyone who really wanted to play at the next level is. So what were training yeah. sessions like? Because uh, you're a starter at a university team and you've played beach worlds uh, uh, on the beach. But it sounds like the other left sides you're playing like uh, Mitrovic, Caden, uh, uh, Melon, like those are all top tier outside. So like what were drills like? What were practice like? Because it seems like as good as you are, it would have been fighting for playing time, right? I was our P4 on that team. Um, it was every single one of our outside hitters, like on the left side at least, has been named to a national team for beach or indoor. Um, so training sessions were, were really hard. I was, you know, going up through club, a small undersized player, and it took me a while to kind of get to the higher level team. So it was really competitive training sessions with you know we kind of had those three other guys rotating through the main spots and i would just kind of fill in um but we were three times a week two hours so pretty pretty standard for club ball and uh i know a school like trinity uh and obviously with caden uh having a religious background like i think he he knew where he was going a little bit earlier maybe than other guys i'm wondering when did like recruiting start for you because you're playing with top tier guys so did you know an 18 u or, or before 18 u or did you start to look around that year of club at where you're going to go post-secondary i was i was looking around my 17 year year sending emails to coaches um, but I was definitely later in the process than a lot of other guys. Like Caden knew super early. Some of the other guys did too. I think I signed in like December of my 18 year. So still it's summer, January. So still sort of early, but definitely not the like, you know, September that some guys were doing. And with you, I know you went back and forth uh, between clubs, but uh when you were a Pac-Man guy, did you sense any rivalries around the province? Like, I know you guys played KW Preds a lot. I think Unity was pretty good at your age group. Um, 
was Ottawa Fusion the Ottawa club or was it Mavs? Like who, who were some of the people that you would see at the same tournaments? Uh, for us, there was kind of a, we'll say a general top three teams being us, Preds and Thundercats. Uh, that was kind of the, we'll say the generally dominant teams my 18 new year. But there was also like Fusion was there consistently. As you said, Unity, uh, Reach was an odd one out because they had kind of never really done anything. And then they were putting a, a pretty strong team out there. One of your guys, Dennis Coda, was there actually. So, yeah. Um, Thundercats, is that where Daniil played? Who else would have been on that team? Uh, Daniil was there. Connor Doran. Uh, Scott Dion. He's at Western now, as is Connor. Um, Mike Dobell. Those are just kind of the first guys that come to mind. And then Daniil down at Long Beach now. And Preds would have been like Will McIntyre and Brady, who's now at Mac. Yeah. Yeah. And then they had, I don't think, one of my friends, uh, Yassin El Sayed, he was at Dow, um, and he's at TMU now. Yeah. So uh, a pretty stacked age group. So uh, I know you were fighting for playing time within your own age group, but what was it like going to tournaments and playing against these other top athletes? Like, is that help what confirm you that, you know, you could play at the next level? Like, I know you mentioned you were like the third or fourth left side on your own team, but when you're going and battling and you have to be across the net from Daniil, who's arguably like one of the best players in the country. And like you said, at Long Beach, like, and those Preds guys, like, did that just confirm that you could play and step into a U-Sorts program? Honestly. No, that for me was like really tough because it's just sitting there and knowing like I'm not a starter on my own club team. Like it just kind of felt sometimes like how am I going to do this at the next level, right? And that made it that made it a lot harder in the recruiting process for me because especially being an undersized outside in Ontario, like how many undersized outsides can you count? Because there's just it seems like everyone and their mom is an undersized outside. And then, you know, you're just contacting coaches and it's like, oh, sorry, we've already got a guy that's two inches taller than you and, you know, has been in the Team Ontario pipeline. So for me, recruiting was really hard and it was just, it wasn't something I knew I could do or even if I knew I would get the opportunity to do until, you know, halfway through my ATV season. For sure, for sure. So take me behind the scenes there because you do have an interesting perspective where a lot of athletes are encouraged to say, Hey coach, I'm going to be at this facility. You're going to be playing on this court at this time, but you didn't have the assurance you were going to play. And obviously I worked with you in a beach setting. So you never yelled at me about playing time because it didn't matter, but you don't seem like a guy who's going to complain. So would you ever go to Mike and be like, Hey, do you have anything scripted on the first day of this tournament when I'm going to play, when I can invite a coach or were you a big video guy? Because it's got to be hard to plan for it and then not be seen. Right. Yeah, so that was that's something I really have to give Mike a lot of credit for. I absolutely loved him as a coach. He was fantastic, and especially given the caliber of our team, he was absolutely phenomenal in making sure everybody touched the court and got playing time, especially for tournaments. Like we could run our bench out of rotation and we would still beat most teams. So especially like I never went to him like, look, I have a coach coming, I really need to do this. Because I never felt that I had to. I just knew he was super good with giving everybody a chance, giving everybody playing time, and making sure that if you wanted to, you would be seen. And with you uh, wanting to play at the next level, how did you trace the recruiting thing? Like, were you looking at program of study? Like, who offers my program? I'm going to contact those coaches. Were you looking at a team that you wanted to start at a young age? Were you looking at a squad who just expressed interest? Like, what were some of the things you did to narrow down your choice? So a big thing for me was like academics as well. I think that's 
a super important thing to know what you want to do. Like if you're going to sign to a school that doesn't have a program you're interested in, it just, it doesn't seem like a right long-term choice for an athlete and like as a whole, a person. So for me, it was knowing what I want to do academically, seeing which schools offer that program. Um, and then contacting the coaches as well. I wanted to go to a school where I knew I would get some playing time just because I don't want to show up and ride the bench for potentially four years like some guys do. Not to say it's a bad thing because you can develop immensely and still do really well, but I just wanted to go somewhere that would you know, be a good fit for me academically, athletically, and I could make an impact as soon as possible. And what was your feeling about Trent? Because they were a competitive CCAA team, but a very young U Sports team at the time uh, when you were looking at schools, right? Yeah. No, it was nice because I have, there's a couple of guys on the team who I've known for a while. Um, one of the guys, Ian Penny, who are liberos. Our parents were friends in university, so I've known him since I popped out of the womb. <laughs> and he came here a year earlier than me. So I was able to talk to him about, you know, the team culture, the program, the direction we thought it was going. And it was all really positive stuff for him. Said, we've got a great group of guys and we do. I can't speak highly enough about the quality of guys on our team because they're all fantastic people. And then Colin as a coach, you know, starting out pretty early in the coaching game, like, you know, post-secondary level. So it was just a lot of stuff I heard about it being a young program kind of come up a little bit. So it seemed like a good fit. Did Colin recruit you? I'm trying to figure out the timing when the coaching change happened. Were you one of his first recruiting classes? I was, yeah, more or less. Kind of, I think I was his second, but there wasn't, I will say I was his first and a half. It, it was sort of a switchover, honestly, between the previous coaches and him. And then when I sent an email to the program, I addressed it to the prior coaches because on the website it hadn't changed yet. So I got an email back saying, hey, those aren't the coaches anymore. Uh, it's me. Hello. And <laughs> I started talking with Colin from there. Nice. And so nice campus. They have the program you want. You're going to play varsity. Uh, how appealing was it for you to be part of the rebuilding phase? Because I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that you're going to graduate and you're going to leave the program in a better place. But that also means you're going to go through some and, and you're going to lose 3-0 sometimes to some junior national team players. Uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, like how, how are you dealing with the expectations going in? And then is it even harder than you expected or is it going better than you expected after your first year? Last year was tough. Honestly, it was, you know, we would show up and, you know, it's, you're not showing up thinking you're going to lose, but you know you're not supposed to win. And for me, that's something I kind of love like going in there and it's like if we win like that's news that's something really big for the program and that's new so it's kind of just like the understanding that like nobody's going to be disappointed if we lose and if we win it's like super cool so you know not to say we're um you know expecting to lose because we're not like we're coming into games thinking we can win and now knowing we have the potential to win um and it's just kind of continuing to look forward and look towards what comes next uh, I, I just realized I skipped a step because your beach year was the year after club. So uh, let's just take one step back. So after club, I think you guys finish second at provincials. Like I think Preds takes it down. And then how did you do at nationals yes. that year? Um, I think we were fourth. So come yeah. off a good club season. Uh, I think our trials that year were in the spring, like late May, very early June. So for you it playing. Was, yeah. So, like I got back from nationals and trials were like the following weekend. So how so many, was, how many practices did you get with your partner? Cam and I practiced together once before the trials. 
and it was in a borderline hailstorm at some dirty beach courts in you know Toronto somewhere. It was just an absolute monsoon. Like it was, you were playing rain and wind ball. It wasn't, it wasn't real volleyball. So I think we we have to have set a record for least practices together as a pair before qualifying for a world championship. And were Cam and you partners before this, or that was you guys figuring it out together? Cam had played like one beach tournament in his life before Worlds qualifiers. Um, so he was pretty new to the sport. Um, obviously, you know, indoor translates over to some extent, but he came in and he did phenomenally. Like, I can't speak highly enough about how well he did. Wow. <laughs> so take me through this experience. Like, you sign up to this tournament. Like, for you, was it like, oh, this is going to be cool. I'd love to go to World Championships. Or were you, like, fighting just like, I want to go to Worlds. This is so important to me. This is so big. Because, like, like your lead into the tournament is so nonchalant. But I'm wondering what you were feeling on the inside when you sign up for a chance to play for Canada. It was like... Because for me, like, I went to high school with, as guys you mentioned earlier, like Stephen Abrams. So when I was there and his senior year of high school was his world championships year, and I heard about it, and it's like, oh, my goodness, like, that just seems like such, like, a cool opportunity. It's incredible. And it was always something I had, like, thought would be, like, really cool. But, like, I wasn't a super strong player at that point in time. So it was just, for me, it was a pipe dream. It was like, oh, haha, yeah, that'd be cool, something to do one day. And then I was talking with Andy Koss like two weeks before the trials and he was like, Hey, are you playing in them? I was like, no. And he goes, okay, you should like, it's not a big tournament this year. Like you're a good player. I think you could have a chance at this. I was like, cool. I don't have a partner. And then he was like, Oh, what about like Cam McGregor or something like that? And we reached out to each other because, you know, we were club teammates and the only time we could find the practice together was like the Wednesday before the weekend tournament or something. And as I said, absolute monsoons and courts in the back of a baseball diamond in Toronto. And we showed up and we won the thing. Amazing. Amazing. So for our listeners, I'll skip through the first day because uh, you guys did not play your best, uh, but it was a two-day tournament and everybody makes playoffs. So take me through the second day. Like, are you hopeful? Are you uh, excited? Are you kind of like, man, we we can't get any worse because of how we played on the first day? Like, what are your thoughts? We did play horribly on the first day. Like, it was, I don't know, we played volleyball. It was okay, but it wasn't anything, like, phenomenal. And then we come in day two, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, like, all we have to do is come top two. And given that we, I think we skipped to three quarters, so all we had were three games that day, assuming we made it to the finals. So I'm like, all we have to do to make it to this tournament is win two games, which, you know, seems like a lot, but it also doesn't seem like all that much when you think about it. So we go through the first game, and I think it was this team from Quebec. And I think we beat them, like, not super handily, but it wasn't a close game or anything. And then I just remember kind of sitting there before the semifinal game, and it was against guys I had beaten before, and just kind of sitting there like, oh, like, this is, like, a real thing that could happen. Which, for me, was, again, still super weird. Like, it wasn't something I was able to process. And it's probably best that I didn't process it at the time, because it was nice to just play volleyball and not think about it too much. And then we won the semifinal and we went into the final against the guys we had lost our uh, only pool play game to. Um, and we ended up taking them in three. So when you get to the final, uh, and if this is too personal, you don't have to answer, but are you playing with house money? Because you're like, yes, we're in. Or are you fired up to be like, yeah, I want to play these guys again. Like, we're going to win. We're going to be Canada one. 
No, I was terrified. Actually, I was absolutely terrified because I was talking with someone and they basically said there was some like, I think it was with Andy Koss. And there was basically some weird rule where apparently if we lost that game, since we also lost to that team in pool play, there would potentially be a play in between the loser of the second game and the winner of like the bronze medal game to determine who can two would be. Since it's like, oh, you both lost to the same team. There's no way to determine who is better. So we were sitting there playing in the final. And every once in a while, we'd kind of be looking over at the other court because it was like, if this team wins, there might be a play-in game. And if this other team wins, there won't be a play-in game. So we're sitting there. And every time I, we're kind of looking at the other court, just kind of hoping the one team is winning. And I look over and I look at one of the guys. And it was after the game was done, like, you win or lose. He was like, oh, we lost. I'm like, oh, bummer. But internally, I'm like, because that was a team we needed to lose for there to be no playing game. So then we're going into a third set, and then it's like, okay, we're going to Worlds. Yeah, th- this is wild, because I've sat at a meeting table where this rule is being proposed and it gets passed, and I, and I can kind of get on board with the premise, but I've never heard an athlete mid-match looking over at the score of another match because it's causing like stress or panic about what's going on so i'll I'll quickly explain for the listeners basically uh i'll I'll call it the megan and nicole rule so megan and nicole were so dominant as youth athletes that when they went to a youth world's competition it's very hard to rank because you have teams from all over the country and the rankings are in my opinion never accurate so basically a team could complain I was on Megan and Nicole's side of the bracket, so I didn't have a chance to get to the finals. Therefore, I can't be top two and go to Youth Worlds. So they built in this secondary match where if you finish third and you haven't played the team who finished second, you get to play a challenge match because you could argue, I was on the wrong side of the draw. I lost to the best team. I'm the second best team. Let me prove it. So uh, in theory, as I'm explaining this, you can kind of get on board with it. But again, when you're in a gold medal final and part of you is looking over at the side change of the second court, to me, that that's unacceptable. We can't have athletes looking around being like, what's happening everywhere else? No, and obviously it's like, that's on me. I, I was doing it more than Cam. So it's completely on me to being, you know, concerned about the other game. But it's like, it's hard not to be when you know, like, we might, it's either we're Cam one, or there's a chance we're not going to this tournament at all. So it's really hard to be, you know, oblivious to the fact that there is another game and potential for that to happen. For sure, for sure. But so it does, it, it makes sense as a rule. It does it does make sense. It's just hard as an athlete. If you're on the losing side of that, it's kind of hard to be like, well, we made it to the finals. And then, you know, this rule came into effect and all that went away. Thankfully that wasn't the case for us, but it could have been. And and again, for context for our listeners. So, um, thanks to one of the coaches at volleyball Canada who, who knew some of the youth athletes, uh, and just with us having a summer next gen program, it made sense where, uh, there was a time when you represented Canada Youth Worlds. It was like, congratulations, uh, you're on your own, and we'll see you at the tournament. Like you didn't get to be a part of the national team. Where thanks to uh, Andrew Koss and, and his connections in the community, when Caden and Daniel went to Youth Worlds, we invited them to be uh, part of the Summer Next Gen team, and they got to train full time with with the program there. And because they were so awesome, and it seemed like a really good idea, uh, you and Cam got to benefit from that, and we invited you to the national team training. So. Uh, again, because you know I, I was your coach, but I don't think we've ever had this conversation. What were your thoughts? Were you like a little bit nervous? Were you excited? Were you thinking like, yeah, I belong with these guys. I'm not. I, I should be here. Like, what, what were you thinking those that first week when you got to train with the national team cats? 
I was really scared again. Like I show up and uh, Ruse Bay, Robinard, or Ronagard, sorry, Ruse Bay, I don't know how to pronounce your last name right now. Um, and he was, you know, a coach of mine and always someone I really looked up to in the volleyball community. And then showing up and walking into just training with him and seeing all the other guys around one day, that was a lot, especially given they're all, you know, six, seven years, you know, they're significantly older than me at that stage of life. Um, and rather far along in their university volleyball careers. And as someone who'd never stepped on a U sports court before, it was a lot. And then you made us sing the national anthem <laughs> five minutes into this first practice. Um, where we absolutely butchered it. Like we started singing this thing and then Cam all of a sudden skips three lines and hits the chorus. And I was confused. So I forgot the chorus of our national anthem and Cam stumbling along and we kind of just like sputter out 15 seconds into this song. And that really set the tone through the first two days of training, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's important not to take yourself too seriously. And it's a nice icebreaker for the boys, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it's a good tradition. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have a dumb hat now, though. I, national Anthem is on lock. Yeah, because when you win gold medals on tour, they play the National Anthem, and you got to sing it. That's one of my favorite parts about World Juniors is watching them line up and just belt out the National Anthem. Well, yeah, but there's music. <laughs> oh, sorry, I have to get the music going. If you give me the instrumental, easy, absolutely on lock. We we sing the national anthem as a team before our games. It's like a thing for us. But at that point in time, no music. Very scared to start practicing with these guys. Not a good luck. That's good feedback. Thank you. I'm gonna. I'm not, I see. I don't consider this hazing or bullying. So I'm just gonna make it easier with the music. I think. Yeah. Just. But don't even really tell them. Just kind of start playing the music and look at them like it's your time to shine. Let's go, guys. <laughs> So with your U19, it's in the early fall. So you got to complete uh, a season of, of training with us with the summer next gen, uh, do the Canadian events. Uh, I, I know you had to return or not a return, actually move into Trent and do a couple weeks of school there. But going to Turkey, did you feel like you were prepared and ready to go? Was Worlds just this big unknown and you don't really know what to expect till you get there? It like. Was I think training with the older guys, a lot of whom had already played in the world championships, was a super big help. Like, they were able to give us all this information and talk us through kind of, like, things we weren't sure about. And then going with coaches who I believe had been there before, especially with Heather Bansley, who we were fortunate enough to have as our head coach, with her absolutely insane amount of international experience. She was a phenomenal resource. And it was just super exciting to, like, especially for me just showing up to the airport, like, this is something I've been dreaming of for years and knowing I'm going to go represent Canada on the world stage. It was just super exciting. And it was a phenomenal experience, the whole thing. So yeah. Awesome. Give us a little bit of behind the scenes. Uh, how many days before the event did you arrive? Uh, did you train with any other teams uh, to kind of prepare for it? Yeah, I think we got there probably five, six days before the tournament started. Uh, we were fortunate enough to do some training sessions on our own. And then we played practice matches against, I think, Spain, Finland, and the States. Um, and then just additionally some other things as well. That was before we got into, you know, like the qualifier started for our Can2 teams. So we had a day there to just kind of relax and do a bit of serve and pass before the tournament. And then it was right into the thick of things. Um, our pool, we had us. Czech Republic, Costa Rica, and Brazil. So that's what we were looking at going into the tournament. 
And uh, I think it, it's one of the, the unique things about our sport of, of having to go through the qualifier, but because you guys didn't, did that help calm the nerves a little bit that you got to watch the event start? You got to see some other teams play. Like, do you think it would have felt different if you were in the qualifier as well? Yeah, I would have been way more nervous if I was in the qualifier and kudos to our teams that do, because that's, that's so much pressure to be in just a single win or go home match. And they, they played really well. Like I can't give my hats off to them enough. And it's, it's a really tough spot to be in, but it, it did help calm the nerves a little bit just seeing, you know, my friends start off playing international volleyball. And for them, I think it was pretty much all of their first international games. So just seeing that play out for them and knowing that's where I'm going to be in 24 hours was just nice and to be able to support them and see them do their best and play well. It was a really good experience. And what were your memories of the first match? Because uh, thankfully, by doing this podcast, I get to talk to a lot of cool people like yourself. And uh, talking to Marquise about the Olympics, we go, oh, it's it's a normal volleyball tournament. The court's the same size. You're even playing against the same teams you see on World Tour. Like, it, it's got to feel the same, right? And Marcos, anyone who tells you it's not different is fooling themselves. That's a bunch of baloney. Like, there's stuff at stakes. You're, you're talking to yourself. Like, it, it's a different stage. And I'm wondering obviously that's the Olympics and that's another level you're going to pursue in your career, but even youth worlds, did it feel different than just a normal volleyball tournament that you've been playing your whole life? It felt so different. Like growing up in Ontario and I guess Canada for the most part, the most you're ever playing for is a free t-shirt that says Ontario beach tour on it. Like there's no real stakes outside of even like North Sea qualifiers and world's qualifiers, right. For like the younger guys and girls. So to go in there like oh i'm like really representing my country here this is a world championship tournament there's more than a t-shirt on the line and to have actual referees and lines people and grooming the court and people running a three ball system on the sand it's just an incredibly different experience not even including the center court you play on with a jumbotron and a dj and random people screaming for you because they're Turkish or recently Thai and it's just not something you've ever experienced before so uh yeah take me through the event obviously not not the result that I'm sure you guys thought about uh when you get to go to world championships but just overall the experience because as you mentioned you got to play some top teams uh you got to battle it out uh looking at the set scores i mean it looks like you guys would settle in and like the first set would be a little bit shaky and then it looks like you played like yourselves a little bit in the second set so just looking back at that experience like what did you kind of gain from being at literally the best volleyball players in the world for your age group it was yeah so our first game was against costa rica and that was kind of exciting because over the summer we had this one guy julius come in every once in a while i'm sure you remember him Uh, and he would train with the next gen team and he was he was a good player and then looking at knowing we'd be playing some of his friends it was like okay like he said they're really strong but we can compete with them and then our first set was sort of shaky but second set we were like we were right there with them i think it was 21 19 i don't know if you have it yeah yeah but and that was we lost the game on what i'm gonna say is a bad call but i'm not gonna you know lament over that it was just the line judge called the ball out that we were fairly certain was and or vice versa and that was unfortunate, but it just kind of demonstrated for us, like, we know we can play with these guys and we can compete with them. But then it was tough going into the next ones because with Worlds, if you've got to be, you know, top three in your team, and we're like, we've got Brazil, they're going to be really tough. So we kind of went into the next one with the mentality of, like, this is a super important game. Um, and that did not go well for us. So I'm going to skip over that one. 
Um, but then going up against Brazil, that was a great experience. And we were we were with them for a while, but they would just kind of pull away near the end. But just kind of seeing that different level of volleyball that we never really experienced before was just a really eye-opening and fantastic experience as a whole to just kind of know where we have to be if we want to keep playing at this level. Yeah, an interesting event, like the the Latvian Cats who finished 1-2, obviously very young, and I think some of them have picked up older partners and they're still going. And you got to be the same event as Kanet Rotar, who are uh, – who just finished third again at U21. They finished third at year U19. Like they're on tour. I got to see them in Edmonton. Like uh, you're around guys who are already on tour. So it, it must be nice confirming that uh, you, you got to be at the same event and hopefully we'll, we'll see these guys down the road. Right. Yeah. And then the Brazilian team who we played in pool play just came forth at uh, U21s as well. Right. Right. So yeah, the same names keep popping up. So you were able to have that experience. And then what was it like going back to Trent? Like, did that boost your confidence or was it just so different playing beach and indoor that uh, it, it didn't really serve your youth sports career? I think it, it actually detracted from my youth sports career a little bit. I'm going to be honest. Cause I came into indoor after having played beach for, you know, exclusively like three months and all of a sudden, Oh, the floor hurts. It's not sand. And I had, you know, beach passing technique. I just completely forgot you could hand pass for like two weeks. And just all of my indoor stuff was kind of shaky for a while, even going into season. Because from coming back, I had, you know, three, four weeks to kind of adapt again before we started up. So that was a big change for me, just to kind of really quickly hop from one to the other. Um, but as a whole, the summer absolutely helped me out, like in terms of training with phenomenal players and getting the coaching I did. So it was fantastic as a whole to just helping me develop as a player. And with Trent, obviously, you mentioned you, you take off in the middle of preseason. So and you got to come back and learn how to hand pass and stuff. So uh, the way the schedule works out, you guys draw Mac on the first weekend. Did you have expectations to start right away? Like, what are your thoughts? Like, it, it, that's not an easy place to play in your first sports game. No, I, I wasn't expecting to start off the bat. Um, and I didn't get it until we were playing Western. Um, I think that was week probably four of our season. So it took me a while to kind of, you know, earn Colin's trust and I think kind of figure that whole thing out. Um, and once I got it, I was there for most of the season with the exception of the last game where I had a bad couple run of games, you know, leading up to it. So I can't complain. Um, but yeah, just as a whole, it was just the adjustment and coming back to it. And Mac was, Mac was tough. They're obviously a very strong program. So to go in there for their banner raising ceremony home opener was um, kind of a rude awakening to my youth sports career. And what was it like for you? Um, as you mentioned, like you, you didn't get the starting spot right away, but you were always getting in. It felt like whether you played a set or two sets or, or whatever it was. So did that help you keep engaged in practice? Were you excited just to develop as a player? Like what was the mood about like going to practice and, and not only switching from beach to indoor, but feel like you're getting better and can contribute and even execute at this level? Yeah, no, it was really nice to know. Like I remember stepping in and then Colin put me in as like a backcourt sub against back. It was like serve side and then to go play backcourt. And I toss up my first serve and I lose it in the pot lights. And I paintbrush it into six, and they absolutely dimed the pass and shoved one down our throats. It's like, oh, yikes. Um, but then they go back to serve, and I nail a couple passes, and that was just kind of, for me, a moment where it was like, all right, I can play at this level. Like, I know I can, so we're going to keep going. Not to say there was a doubt that I would, but it was just nice to have that kind of reassurance that I can play at this level. 
And from there, it's, you know, the guy I was competing for playing time with at the time has switched to right side now, but he's a good player. So I was never really expecting to get the start. Um, I'm just happy it kind of came my way eventually. And when you guys um, are going through your season, is there anything to build on? Like, let's not sugarcoat it. I mean, the team was 2-18, and 18, but you guys didn't lay down and die. So when you win a set, is that something that comes up at practice the next week? Or if it is a close match and maybe you do lose in four or five, like, is that something you build on? Or as a competitive guy, like, is that too artificial for you to be like, oh, we, we lost in five, so therefore it was a good good experience? Like, I think at the start for us, it was a really big thing. Like coming in, we didn't win any sets for a while. Um, and then I think our first set win of the year was against Guelph. And that was really big for us. Like we just, we call our gym the shack. Um, and we had a pretty full stands that day. And everybody on the bench lost it. Everyone in the stands lost it. Um, and then we were kind of talking about it after that. But we didn't let it be like, oh, you know, we want a set. We're happy with that because we're a young team. We know we're going to keep growing and getting better. So it just kind of served as a motivating factor to us. Like, oh, you know, we can win more sets. And then this year, taking one off Queens this past weekend was really big for our program. Um, just off a nationally ranked team is, I don't think, something that's been done before, at least in the past couple of years. So we're not showing up to practice like, oh my God, we took a set off this team. Like, we're super happy and well, that's it for our season. Like, no, it's just we want to set off them and we're going to win games off other guys. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Guelph because uh, you don't know it at the time, but you guys start off against Mack and Windsor, who are the final of the league. So you have the toughest four games to start. And then, like you mentioned, you have your home opener. Uh, Just what's the deal with the home crowd? Like, is it uh, a lot of people live on campus? I, I think you and I were talking before the show, you guys are the indoor sport at Trent. Uh, like I know they do well at uh, field lacrosse and rowing and rugby, but there isn't a basketball team there. So you guys are the primary indoor sport. Is it just, a, it's a good time and people like to go watch and support you guys. Is it, all, is it all family and friends? Like how are you getting people to fill the bleachers at Trent? Last year we started like a huge media campaign called pack the shack. Um, which at first was not super well-received by athletics, um, but we just kind of kept at it until they had to roll over and die on the topic. <laughs> so before every game, it's everybody on the team post pack the shack. And the good thing is Trent is a small school. Like, I can't walk to class without running into five or six friends throughout campus. So because of that, since it seems like everybody knows everybody sometimes, we're able to get a good portion of the student body out. We get our rugby team is fantastic. They come to every game. They do background research. Like they're yelling at the other team. Like we, between the small size of our gym, the fact that sound absolutely echoes in there, like it gets so loud. And we have such a phenomenal supporting group of friends, family, and just our student population in general. You know, they show up, they kind of feel the environment. People are being loud and yelling and they join in. And from there, it just spirals into a super energetic environment. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, and it, with where the program is, and obviously uh, I think RMC deserves the ultimate respect because the the school schedule they have, the training schedule they have, practice can be interrupted for training and everything else they got going on. So you guys get them on the schedule. Is that a weekend you guys fire up for just because you know uh, equal level opponent, it's going to be a tough game, chance to get a win? Like what's the RMC week like? Um. Yeah, for us, RMC, especially last year, 
was pretty big because we hadn't won a game before that point and neither had they. So, you know, we're kind of walking into it knowing this is a really winnable game for us as long as we show up and play our style of volleyball. Um, so I can't speak to this year because it's still fairly far out there. Um, but last year was pretty big for us in preparation and just knowing, like, if we're going to win a game, this is it. So going into that, kind of knowing that's where we were was big for us. And I know for Colin, uh, it was pretty big as well. So that was just something we focused on. Not too much. We didn't let it overshadow everything else. All in all, just another weekend, but a bit of a bigger one at that point in time. For sure. For sure. And then going into this year, um, obviously we didn't see you on the beach as much as I would have liked. Is that because you actually wanted to have a, a normal summer or you wanted to prepare for indoor? Or what were some of your plans going into this season? Um, like for indoor? Yeah. I had to work a lot over the summer, so that unfortunately kind of overtook my ability to play beach. My job just had me working weekends, so I wasn't really able to make it out to the sand as much as I would have liked or at all. Um, but it was nice because I was able to sprinkle in a lot more indoor training where I could and just kind of better prepare for this indoor season. And uh, obviously it's a new season, so is there a lot of optimism around the program? I think... For the most part, you guys are just a year older. I, I mean, you probably did graduate somebody, but it looks like the core is back. So uh, how are you feeling about this season? I know you mentioned uh, you've already played Queens uh, as we record this. We're already uh, one weekend into the OUA season. But yeah, how are you feeling about going into this season? As a team, we're feeling really good going into this year. You know, pretty much all our guys, we lost our one right side, uh, Ryan Austin, who graduated, and our libero, Isaac Avery. But we have phenomenal players in both of those positions coming in to kind of take over where they were. So that's not a super big concern. And yeah, as you said, just for the most part, our guys are a year older, a year stronger, a year smarter. Um, coming in after what we think is a rather strong showing for our first weekend, we're feeling good going into the rest of this year. Definitely a lot better than last year. And um, how are you kind of going through your playing career? Like, uh... Uh, last year you mentioned uh, switching from beach to indoor and now this year you're, you're a second year. Like what's, what's your focus been in training or are you trying to like step up your leadership game? Or are you worried more about technical tactical in your own thing? Like it, how does year two kind of differ from year one? For me, it's still just improving a lot of my physical stuff. Like I'm compared to other guys, not a super physical player. Like I'm not going to go up there and just pound one attack line every time. I'm not going in there and OTing guys. So for me, it's just working on the physical aspect of the game and the technical aspect, just getting my strength up, being a smarter player, and just making sure that everything is as refined as it can be. And how do you manage that? Or maybe that comes in with Coach Walker, but if one of your goals is to, to gain strength and just physicality, um, I think you guys play two games from here on out until the holiday break. Uh, and then you're two games every weekend going into the second semester. So how do you balance, I got to be ready to perform and I want to feel fresh, but I also want to get stronger because sometimes those can be uh, pulling against each other, right? Yeah, like we have a pretty good workout program. Um, for the most part, it makes sure we don't, you know, absolutely die throughout the course of the season. <laughs> it's pretty heavily focused on building strength through preseason and just kind of maintaining it throughout, you know, most of the regular season. So it's, you lift when you can, but don't, you know, kill yourself the day before a game and just make sure you're always feeling good. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, like I said, I think you'll look back at this and, and I think uh, the program is going to be in a better place. And, and I know it's tough, you know, planting trees for 
shade you'll never sit under or whatever the phrase is. But uh, I think the trend program's on the way up and you're a big part of that. So thanks for coming on the show and sharing all that you did. But we've made a tradition on the show to tell a funny or unique story. So you've played at the highest level, you've, you've played for Canada. But uh, man, we got a weird sport sometimes. So I was wondering if you could just give us a funny story before we let you go. Yeah, I think probably mine has to be, it was consecutive weekends last year where we played at Western and then at York. So when we were at Western, we, I don't know how you guys operate at York, but we have like four guys to a bedroom for road trips. I'm sure that's pretty standard across the league. So I'm out and about just in the hotel because we had a day off in between. Uh, we played on Friday and then we played on Sunday because there was Vanier Cup in London on the Saturday. So we had a bit of a later night Friday, just kind of hanging out in the hotel. And I get back to my room, you know, 11.30, midnight, whatever. And my roommate just kind of, he was snacking on some stuff and he puts the bag away. And then I lie down to go to bed and my eyes start to get like really itchy. Um, so I get up and I go to the bathroom and my eyes are super red and swollen. Uh, at this point, it's worth noting, I have a peanut allergy and my roommate was eating trail mix on our bed. <laughs> so it's 1am, we're at a random hotel in London and I start stumbling around this hotel in my pajamas trying to find one of my teammates who has Benadryl because I had like EpiPens, but I didn't have any at the time. So I'm like, I don't know what room he is. So I'm just kind of stumbling around, texting our group chat, praying he's awake. So I finally find the Benadryl and I'm just awake for another couple hours, just letting my allergic reaction go down. And then because of it, I wasn't feeling great the following day and even the next day. So I like borderline throw up when we're playing Western because there was a couple long rallies and cardio gets to me. So that was, I guess, step one in the whole thing. The following weekend, we're playing York, you guys, um, back at the shack. So home game for us. And presumably unrelated, we had a really long rally. And I start feeling super sick. And I turn to Colin. And I'm like, like, I tried to get his attention, but I couldn't. So then the next rally starts. And it's a long one. Like, it's like five out of system balls to me on the pin kind of thing. And I'm like, I can't do this. So I run over to the sideline, start, like, yelling at Colin, like, sub me off. And he was like, okay, and we get another guy on. The second I'm off the floor, I sprint to the change room and absolutely hurl all over our change room. I missed the toilet because I couldn't get there. And it's just chunks all over this thing. I'm just like comatose on the bathroom floor, just praying that I'm not going to, you know, continue to throw up. So I take a little time to recover. One of our, a couple of our guys come in to check on me, make sure I'm not, you know, lying on the floor unconscious. I kind of like groggily walk back out and Colin just looks at me and he's like, what the heck? I'm like, I threw up in there, like, but I'm feeling good though. Like, put me back out there. He goes like, I am not doing that. Like, sit down, take a break. So the AT comes over, she gets me Gatorade, asks me a couple of questions. Soon enough, the set ends and we kind of walk over to the other side and I'm calling, like, I am good. Put me in this game. And sure enough, he did. And I went back out there and I think I had a pretty good game. The Charlie Windsor flu game. Nice. And yeah, coupled with my bronchitis game from this past weekend, I think I have a tendency of being sick for all of our games. Well, I mean, the peanut allergy one's not really on you, but I think as a team, you should probably be more aware of who's rooming through. But uh, anyways, I'm not saying they're not a good guy, but that seemed a little, uh, I'm glad it worked out, but that could have been scary. Yeah, it's hindsight. It's just a funny story. (laughs) And we, we still laugh about it. Oh my God, I completely left out the fact, like I look at him after, you know, 
after my reaction starts. It was Ian coming out to the guy I mentioned earlier. Like, Ian, like, were you eating in our bed earlier? He was like, yeah, why? I was like, what were you eating? He goes, trail mix. Now, Ian's known me for a very long time. He knows I have the allergy, but he just forgot. He was like, oh, I was like, trail mix, why? And I just kind of look at him, my eyes all puffy. He just goes like, oh, like, they were roasted peanuts. I thought that was okay. <laughs> like, no, no, Ian, no. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, I'm sorry I omitted that detail because that, looking back, still kills me. No, no, all good. And actually, uh, I forgot to tee up one other story that I've heard that you can confirm or deny. Uh, even though it was a world championship, uh, how is turkey in the wild animal situation? Oh, it's it's really cool, actually. Turkey's good with, um, they have a lot of, like, public dogs and cats, we'll say. I don't know how to describe them. That are kind of just out and about the city, like the residents feed them. And then we're playing one of our games, and this dog kind of just runs onto the middle of the court and, like, sits down. <laughs> and we don't know what to do, because it's just a dog. And we look at each other, and we look at the ref. And the ref is like, well, I don't know. So they look at, like, the volunteers working the triple ball system in the rakes. Sure enough, another dog runs on the court. So now we've got these volunteers chasing the dogs around with like the court rakes, trying to get them off the court. And then eventually some dude walks over, just picks one up and walks away with it. Like, okay. So they kind of had to wrangle the animals in the middle of our game, but it worked out in the end. See, I think other than maybe airport issues, you're ready to start your beach career because you've dealt with uh an allergy illness uh dogs on the court like you've dealt with a, a lot of distractions so all you have to do is like miss your flight and i think you've uh, experienced a beach career we have bad enough bus drivers at trent <laughs> like it's consistently like like we tried to leave for queens this past weekend and our bus driver got stuck in our parking lot good way to start the trip another one another one like, it's just like a joke we have at this point because we are probably 80% something goes horribly wrong with our bus compared to 20% everything is fine. Like, we've had drivers just turn sideways in the middle of a road and stop, blocking both lanes of traffic. We've had them not be able to find our hotel for over two hours, forget where the school is on the way home, start driving the wrong direction. We've got everything. Yeah, you're battle tested. You're ready to go. So, uh, like I said, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all that you did. Uh, anyone in the Peterborough area, it sounds like it's a good time. You got to pack the shack and support the squad, and you guys are going to take down a few more wins this year. So, best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you again for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun.